I'm so excited to welcome you to a special edition of the Clark Howard Show as we broadcast to you from Las Vegas, our ninth year at the Consumer Electronics Show. Well, that's what it used to be called. Now they like it to be called CES. It's the world's largest trade show, mandatory cap of 175,000 attendees. Then you take all the periphery people in the couple of hundred thousands of people here in Las Vegas as exhibitors worldwide come to Las Vegas to show their ideas of how to make life easier and at the same time make themselves some money. The categories that things are in are changing over the years. As an example, and I'll talk about this in our broadcast either today or tomorrow, motive sector didn't even exist when I first started coming to this show and now is a huge part of it is vehicles that you buy today whether they run on gasoline or diesel or some form of hybrid or electric they are rolling computers and the thing going on with automobiles are huge changes in how they operate and I'll talk about that more later there's a lot of buzz about 5G, but 5G is something that is coming into your life in ways that we can't even grasp from the most basic standpoint. What 5G does is it allows wireless networks to operate at much faster speeds with much greater coverage than you might have with a wired home internet connection from the cable company or the phone company. But it's much more than that, and I want to talk about that later. What I want to talk about right now is something that is eye-popping, and I've got to bring it alive to you on the radio dial, and that is the new televisions. Oh, my goodness. Now, what's going on with TV at CES, what's being shown here, is so startling. And the breakthroughs in the technology so extreme that it's kind of like using a super sign to commute to work because the television and movies being shot, the sports programming being shown, aren't ready for the hardware that's now available and on display to be available later this year in the television area. But what's coming is resolutions for TVs that feel like you're looking through a pane of glass instead of watching the screen you watch right now. A lot of buzz here about 8K, which is funny because you think about televisions, most people, almost everything you watch is in HD. Even though you might have bought a 4K television, if you bought a TV in the last 36 months, the 4K TV sits there just waiting, just wanting that opportunity to show you what 4K looks like. But there's very little programming. Most of the programming available in 4K is either from Amazon uh, Prime or it's from Netflix. With Netflix... You have to pay a little bit extra each month to be able to watch the 4K video. And the picture, particularly with certain kinds of action adventure and uh, things that show scenery, unbelievable in 4K. But most everything I'm seeing here at CES is double that, the 8K televisions. The screen sizes getting larger and larger and larger. Imagine... A television screen that takes up most of the wall that you watch TV on. Now, if you've ever had a projection TV with a movie screen and like a theater room in your home, imagine instead of that, the actual TV being that size. And that's not something that's going to be only for people who have really fat wallets. Right now it will be, but within roughly about 30 months so when we look at christmas season 
what would that be, 2021, you're going to see these massive screen televisions that are widely available and accessible from a price standpoint. I mean, think about what's happened with the uh, 75-inch screen sizes. When 75-inch screens were first being shown here at CES, I guess that was three years ago, the cost of those TVs were more than buying a European luxury car. And now you can buy them when they go on sale for as low as $799 for a 75-inch TV. So now we're seeing the price points compress for over 80-inch screens with magnificent pictures. But what I'm seeing here are screens over 200 inches. Try to picture that in your living room or a den where you're totally immersed in the video content. And over time, the resolution that will be available to you from streaming services, likely not from cable providers or from satellite, but from streaming services, will be able to take advantage of the capabilities that these new screens are appearing with. But here's my strategy for 2019 for buying a TV. Let people who just have to have the latest greatest be the beta testers for all these phenomenal new televisions like one that is available here that rolls up, that acts like uh, almost like a piece of um, poster board, I guess. And so it comes out of a retractor thing and goes up and becomes a solid shape and forms for you to be able to watch. When you're done watching TV, you press a button on the remote and that thing retracts and disappears. So let people who have too much money buy stuff like that. Let people who have to be the first one pay the ridiculous amount of money for that. And let people who have to have a 200-inch screen this year buy that for an obscene amount of money. For you and me, this year with television, and for me it's all about football, being able to watch a football game on a magnificent large screen. The sweet spot with TVs, the average TV in the United States that people have is around 50 inches is what they're buying now. But the real deals on TVs are 55-inch, 65-inch, and 75-inch screens. And the price points for the 55s, uh, as you saw over Black Friday, dropped as low as $200. Today, routinely around $300. The change that you're going to see with the next wave of TVs coming out in the spring is that the quality of the picture on those screens at extremely low prices is going to be so much better. And so you're going to be looking at maybe $300 for the lead price on the 55s, $550 on the 65-inch TVs, and the cheapest of the 75s, again, right at $800. So when you look at what I see here at the show, I see the future. And I see what's coming with video. And for most people, what's coming is not what's relevant to your wallet today. But because that stuff is coming, the sweet spots of 55, 65, and 75 are the ones that are the approachable prices all available at under $1,000 on sale. But something else, do you know all the TVs when you go into an electronics store, they talk about being connected. And that's so key because subscriptions to cable providers and to satellite going down, down, down. You know, for years, there's been a lot of talk about cord cutting. We're past talk now. It's happening. So when you look at buying a TV, you want to make the platform for watching streaming the easiest it can be. And on that score, I have a big bias for Roku. Roughly a fourth of TVs you buy today have Roku built in. You can buy a separate Roku device, but I can tell you it works much better 
than the interface that Samsung offers on its connected TVs, Vizio offers on there, the Google uh, Chromecast system. None of those are as easy to use or as well thought out as Roku. And as you're looking at TVs, look for the Roku built in because if you are ready to dump your cable or satellite subscription and go to lower cost television, you're going to find that the transition is the smoothest and easiest if you go to Roku versus any of the other platforms that are available. You know, at some point, people will come up with other great platforms. A lot of people like the Amazon uh, Fire Stick for TV, the Amazon Fire System built into a TV, and it is a, a very workable system. But again, my preference is for the Roku. You'll have to make your own decision. The change that's coming this year with streaming products is Disney having specialized programming available to you if you're really into the Disney stuff, and ESPN finally making a clean break with the cable and satellite providers and offering standalone ESPN if you choose not to be with satellite or cable. So satellite and cable, you're going to find, are going to push their prices up heavily on people who remain incumbents doing business, watching TV the old way with cable or satellite. It's time for our roving reporter, also known as our executive producer, Kim Drobes, who wanders the floor at CES looking for smaller companies, inventors that have come up with ideas that no one else has been able really to this point to bring to market in a way that'll make you happy or benefit your life. So Kim, what have you found right now? Hey Clark, I'm on the floor with Karina. She is with Link. Link is L-Y-N-Q and I love this device. Can you tell us about it? Uh, sure. So Link is a people compass. Uh, it allows you to find people anywhere in the world uh, without cell phone service and infrastructure whatsoever. So you connect two or more devices and then uh, you find each other, uh, your friends, uh, anywhere in the world. And when you say anywhere in the world, this is designed for like maybe like a music festival or something like that. Like my cell phone's not working, but I know my friends are out there. How does it actually navigate me to them? You were just actually uh, pointed out to a use case, right? So like for festivals or ski resorts, um, you know, when you are with your kids, uh, anywhere we need to find your family and friends, um, right? You kind of like want the group to, you know, keep each other together. So Link, the way it works is just basically you pair two or more together. I uh, can have up to 12 devices, up to 12 people in your party. And then uh, it's very intuitive. It shows you an arrow and a distance right to someone else in your group. That's it. Uh, you just follow. The arrow gets bigger when you get closer. So it's super intuitive to find out. Um, also, there's uh, one button interface. So you literally only need to scroll through the people in your party to find where everybody else is. And since this is radio, can you physically describe this for our listeners? So it's like an eight shape uh, or a bean shape uh, carabiner. Um, it sits vertically, so you kind of like flip it on the outside of your person, in your gear, in your clothes. It's meant to be wear outside, right? So that you can just flip it up and it's a very quick reference to someone else in your group. So you can literally be skiing super fast and you can look at the screen and it tells you where your friends are. It has a custom antenna right here that it sits uh, vertically. Um, the reason why we build it this way is that the radio waves propagate the best when it's vertically. And what else? Uh, there's a sunlight readable screen. Uh, so, you know, anywhere you could, like, it's super easy to reference. Uh, it's also made uh, for, it's made for to be used with gloves. So the reason uh, for the form factor of a carabiner, obviously, because, like, you know, it's modular, you can use it everywhere. You know, uh, it's very easy to use or, you know, in, a, like, really harsh environments, uh, like if you're climbing Kilimanjaro or skiing. <laughs> very easy to use. Absolutely killer. But can you tell me how much you think it's going to cost for people? Yeah, uh, two for 209 And is it readily available? Uh, we did a pre-sale, sold uh, 1.6 million, about uh, 20,000 units, and uh, we are just getting ready to ship. And yeah, it's our first application of our technology and uh, looking forward to putting the heads of customers really soon. Well, congratulations. And where can people go if they want to learn more? Uh, linkme.com. 
All right, Clark, you know, one great use of Link would be right here at CES, considering they don't have Wi-Fi and sometimes cell is spotty. It would be really cool to be able to find you if you were on the show floor and we weren't together. You know, you're so right. We can never find each other at CES because it's impossible. It's so magnificently large. And so the cell phones never seem to work. And I think about how often, because I love to snow ski, that I can't find the other folks in my party. And this is such a neat way to be able to do it. I also think about the uses if people are on a wilderness hike and people get lost, this could be a huge safety thing that could be the difference between somebody being stranded in the wilderness in danger and being found safe. Kim, thank you. I can't wait to hear your next segment. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. But this is a special edition of the Clark Howard Show, our ninth year on the floor of CES, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, the world's largest trade show each year. And I've seen how what the focus is on changes over the years and this year the top focus at ces is on something that i alluded to earlier and also back in december and that is 5g 5g is terribly misunderstood over the next several months but is going to change so much about how our lives work day to day and so I want to explain how this fits in your life and start with something that was a real unforced error from AT&T. AT&T, for some reason, the marketing brainiacs there are relabeling a lot of the cell phones they have with a 5G logo, even though they're not 5G. And it's going to confuse you as to what this is all about. So I want you to know that is is a huge change in how you're able to connect and how so much of what is around us in life is able to be always on, always connected. It is a new wireless technology that people are spending around the world trillions of dollars on. And what it will do is it will allow networks to run wirelessly at a massive speed and with far more capacity than what exists today. We will have billions and billions and billions of devices of all shapes and sizes and forms that will be connected to these 5G networks. Ultimately, probably you'll see this in a meaningful way in 2020, you'll be able to have an always-on home internet connection that will be wireless, that will move at perhaps a hundred times the speed of what you have right now from a cable company or a phone company for internet in your home. But it will travel with you. And speaking of travel, 5G is going to make what are known as smart cities available. Where, as an example, let's say an emergency vehicle is coming down the road. And one of the problems are these mid-intersection accidents when an ambulance, a police officer, a fire truck is trying to get to someone, provide help, or get someone, in the case of an ambulance, to a hospital. Well, with this 5G technology, the dash of your car or on your phone, that will tell you there's an emergency vehicle coming what direction it's coming from. And in some smart cities, cities that adopt the technology, the red light will turn green instantly for the emergency vehicle, clearing the intersection for them to go through. There are so many different ways and uses that 5G will be available to you, including smartphones, and some are here at CES in Las Vegas, showing 5G smartphones that are ready to run at ultra, ultra, ultra high speed with no latency, meaning that if you put in on an app 
for the information on an app to present itself, or you go on the Chrome browser, Safari browser, whatever, and you want to see something, it will represent before your eyes can register that the information is there. But it's way beyond that because what I've been seeing at CES the first two days I've seen exhibitors is so many different devices that are designed from the ground up to operate on ultra-fast wireless so that you can do so many different functions in your life, so many different things that will improve your life. And one of the areas that is ready to take advantage of it are very approachable, very easy to use, direct-to-consumer health and wellness devices of all different time types that will make an enormous difference in your life. An example. So there are a number of things being shown here that are designed to deal with the silent killer, strokes. You know, the problem with strokes is that so often by the time the damage is done and maybe irreversible, you didn't have symptoms. It was symptomless till bam, it happened. Well, because of this intersection of ultra-fast wireless networks and various monitoring devices, you will know way before the, the point of no return that all the symptoms are lining up under the surface leading to a stroke. Just one example where the ability to do real-time medical monitoring makes a difference. Another one, how about with diabetes? There are any of a number of devices that will take advantage of these networks that will allow for real-time monitoring of your blood sugar level for diabetics, no pinprick necessary, and these electronic devices are able to monitor real-time many of these devices once the medical industry catches up because this is one of the craziest things about CES is that the electronics folks are light years ahead of the way mainstream medical practice operates in the United States. So they are, they are developing all these diagnostic tools that can be made available to your doctor, but in so many medical practices, they're not set up yet to receive the information. A, what's involved is you'll see something that says you're having a problem that may be leading you to a stroke or you'll have something with diabetes or any of a number of other medical conditions and you have to today pick up the phone and call a doctor's office who then will maybe put you on with a nurse and on like that. The link that's missing right now and where mainstream medical practice is going to have to catch up is this idea of the information is now going to be in the hands of you as a consumer, the medical practices are going to have to be able to connect to that and be willing to modify their practices so they get that information real time. Because what we're looking towards is instead of having to mend people, prevent that in the first place. Prevention. So much better than having to do heroic work in an operating room or whatever to try to save somebody's life. Instead, to have early warning of various medical conditions. And that's where all this ties together is just one example of where the 5G networks coming live in bits and pieces this year, coming live in big ways in 2020, are going to improve people's lifespans and their health. Um, one other thing I was fascinated by does not require any of this is there is uh, one of the large companies that make blood pressure cuffs has developed a smartwatch that the watch itself will take continuous and apparently a 100% accurate blood pressure readings. All you do raise your hand to heart level and in just a couple of seconds it gets a completely accurate health reading 
if your doctor is equipped to receive that information, it will transmit to your doctor if there's a bad reading. Otherwise, the information, good and bad, tracks on an app to your smartphone. When you go to see your doctor, you're able to show him or her your pattern with your blood pressure. Instead of them taking just a snap reading when you're in an office, they're able to see that continually. Just one area where the way medicine works is going through a radical transformation because of the breakthroughs of wearables and also the high-speed networks that are coming available with the information tracked on your Android or iPhone. And the things that people show at CES, so weird. Do you know what the Impossible Burger is? It has been a huge hit around the country. It is a, I'm a real uh, traditional red meat eater. But if I go to a restaurant and they have an Impossible Burger, I actually like it better than a traditional beef burger. And so it eliminates the health risk of red meat. Impossible Burger is showing Impossible Burger 2.0. I didn't get to have a sample because people were surrounded around it like bees to honey. But they have been able to use deep computer analysis, deep data, to develop a better non-burger. Tom is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Tom, you have a question for me about CES. Is that right? That's correct, Clark. I went to CES a few years ago, and we snuck in on while they were setting up and looked around. And then uh, me and some military friends were coming back out to Vegas. And after I heard one of your shows, I thought that you said at some point they were going to be allowing the public to uh, come in on one day or something of that nature. And my friends and different media thought that they had read the same thing. Well, that turned out not to be the case. So I called to get an update unless I was mistaken what I heard on one of your broadcasts uh, about opening it up to the public. And I'm here in Vegas so today. I, it's a great question you're asking. And I asked one of the folks with the uh, Consumer Technology Association about that two days ago. And they have no plans, and that's all they said, no plans to make any part of CES available to the general public. That they have trouble just already turning so many tens of thousands of people away from the electronics industry who can't get in. So unfortunately for now, they're not opening it up to the general public. And so you're not going to be able... To come in, except I love that, that you figured out how to sneak in one time. That was very impressive that you were able to do that with all the security here. And they do. So, and I, uh, after I landed, when I got here, I went immediately over to one of the CES, uh, CES locations and where they give out the badges. So I decided to stick around and hold the door for them and get to see what was going in. So that was fun. <laughs> Well, you know, it's huge. And, you know, I wear one of those fitness trackers where I track how many steps that I walk every day. And at CES, I walk as many as 30,000 steps in a single day because the amount of territory this covers is the world's largest trade show is absolutely amazing. So I will do the best I can to bring you up to date on everything going on. But if you're interested in specific breakthroughs, product categories, and the rest. The tech bloggers are all over the Las Vegas Convention Center and the out facilities as well, shooting video, putting updates, putting up articles about the latest, greatest new items that they believe are great. And we will do the best we can to bring you up to date as well with audio and video of the newest, latest, greatest stuff here in Las Vegas at the world's largest trade show, CES. It's time to check in with Kim, our producer extraordinaire, who at CES 
wanders the floor for days looking for really, really cool ideas that excite her and she believes may benefit your life or just sound really cool to you. Kim, what you got? All right, Clark, I'm here with Curtis. He is with Hypnos. Did I say that right? That sounds right. Hypnos is Greek for sleep. So this sleep product, what I've read about it, it can help you if you're a snorer, it can teach you to stop. How does that work? So we're solving the number one problem in bedrooms today. We silence your spouse. And the way it works is it, it looks just like an eye mask that you'd wear to block out the light, and it does block out light. But your phone listens for your snoring. And we have a little machine learning algorithm running. And if it hears snoring, then it checks if you're on your back. If you're on your back, it gently vibrates you so that you turn over on your side. And that helps reduce snoring. If you still are snoring, then it starts to increase your exhalation pressure. And so that inflates your nasal cavity and inflates your throats and even your lungs. And with that inflation, then the vibration can't happen. Can you elaborate on that for me a little bit about how it increases the pressure? Yeah, the uh, as you breathe out, a valve closes. So it would be almost like holding your nose and trying to breathe out your nose. And when you breathe in, then it opens and you can breathe in completely. And so it's only on the exhalation that you have the pressure, which then increases the, the uh, it dilates your airways. That's amazing. And how has it done with testing? It's done great. My wife won't let me uh, sleep in the room without it. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad it's working. A lot of people's marriages. <laughs> no doubt. Well, we are a very price-centric program. Do you know how much it's going to cost? Yeah, our MSRP is $179. And we've got 500 units out in the field. It's available now on Indiegogo. And uh, so you can get it uh, shipped immediately. If people want to learn more, where do they go? They would go to hupnos, H-U-P-N-O-S dot com. Perfect. Thank you so much. So what do you think about that? Snoring is a really, really big deal for people. I don't have a snorer in my life, but I know a lot of people do. Yeah. Well, how about me as a snorer? I think at some point, if I don't deal with it, Lane's going to kick me out of the house. So this is something that I'm really intrigued by. I'm going to go by and try it at the show myself. So, Kim, thank you for solving my own personal problems on the floor of CES. It's great to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where we have an unusual day for you. We're broadcasting for the ninth consecutive year at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, now called CES for some odd reason instead of Consumer Electronics Show. But it is the world's largest trade show each year with a mandatory cap of attendees that's somewhere around 180,000 people. It's like a city in itself. And it gives me a chance each year to see what's happening with the electronics world and how it's going to influence your life, what products are coming that are going to be available for you in weeks or months, what trends are there that are going to change how your life works. And I have a great privilege to have with me Ashley Esqueda, who is your job with CNET. You are the chief oh, I'm a whatever. I'm a senior editor. Senior editor. And okay. I host a couple shows on CNET. And then uh, also I just am a, a general technology enthusiast. I love coming to this show. And so you and I have this geek fest before we go on the air talking about all the things that we got more and more excited about talking about them. And other people would look at us and think, what losers we are. Yeah, I know. They're like nerds. Hey, hey, nerds, yeah. calm down. <laughs> but, but we have seen this year already with, the, with only the pre-stuff going on and the real action starting today. Uh, to me, a real inflection point that the last three years, it seemed like there were only incremental changes. Mm -hmm. And this year feels like this is a breakthrough year where there are a lot of things that have been talked about that are actually going to happen, that are going to directly improve people's lives. Yeah, this uh, the, the big theme of the year is, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 5G, right? So everybody's talking about 5G, where you're all going to have this beautiful utopian world in which we're all connected all the time and our cars are connected and everything's connected. And um, But at the end, like, but no one has announced like products. So I think we've gotten like maybe one product, uh, maybe a phone from Verizon that's 5G. 
Uh, so it's slow going, but we'll get there. We always do. Uh, another thing, we don't even have a 4K TV yet, but we got 8K now. And so everybody's talking about it. these beautiful 8K TVs. Some of them are rollable. LG has this wallpaper TV that can get down into, it rolls into a box, basically. So uh, I told them, uh, you guys should put a lock on it, like a, like a tech lock on an app. So that way, if your kids misbehave and you're like, well, I'm just literally taking the TV away. It's gone. <laughs> Like, I'm just putting it in the box, and you don't get it back. And it becomes a piece of furniture. It does. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, it becomes a piece of furniture. It's, I'm the person who would put a drink on top of that box, and then it would spill, and then the whole TV would be ruined. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's a bad idea. Like, don't, don't put, uh, you know, just put a little sticker on there. It says no liquids. <laughs> just leave it alone. Uh, we've also seen all kinds of robots. A lot of... Uh, the robots really fascinate you. Yeah, I love robotics. I, I find them terribly interesting. They've really come a long way since, you know... It's funny, you said this is your ninth year here broadcasting from CES. It's my ninth year here at CES as well. And they've come a long way. Now we've got these... Um, a lot of robots that are designed not just to be a virtual assistant, right? So you've got your Alexas and Googles and Cortanas and Series and everything. But now we're starting to see these third-party robots that are self-contained and they are there to help you so one of the things i saw last night at a uh, ces event called pepcom was this robot called leq and leq is a robot that was designed to be a companion but also an assistant for the elderly who live alone anybody who lives alone but still wants to be independent and can be independent she does things like there's a tablet on the uh, right next to her and she's you know got like a kind of a an upside a goblet shaped head <laughs> and uh, and then there's just the light pulse when she talks like there's no face which we've seen some of that but there's just a light pulsing and the way she moves is very pixar like it reminds me of that lamp uh the pixar lamp the cute little pixar lamp and um she does things like if i were to send a message to my grandpa for example who who had leq in his home there would all of a sudden a message would come through and say you have you have a new video from your granddaughter like would you like to watch it and then you can interact with her and apparently she will remind you to take your medication and say good morning to you and suggest that maybe you go out for a walk because it's such a nice day because she can look at the weather and um and that kind of stuff is stuff that I think we haven't really had the technology to, to see, like developed. And now this is very early. It's a prototype. We're not really sure if we're going to sell it. And LEQ is available for pre-order. You can buy it this year. Like it's so that's how the, many zeros uh, only a couple. So it's, it's 1400. I think it's like 1500 bucks. So if you know, which is expensive, but it's also only a couple hundred dollars more than the full price of an iPhone. So it's not terribly expensive in the grand scheme of if you want a robotic companion for somebody that you love that you're you know who maybe is a little bit lonelier than than you'd like them to be then maybe it's a good investment and um and that's the that's actually a theme i'm seeing um in tech west we we love tech west because yeah we should explain what that is so ces is divided up with the big shots who spend tens of millions of dollars on their displays for just a week and they take massive square footage in the main Las Vegas Convention Center. And then there are the wannabes that are typically entrepreneurial. They may have private equity money. They have an idea that the marketplace isn't serving. And we're in one of those areas because that's where I enjoy being, where you see the creative kind of energy that you see from people. So I think that's really, really cool to see yeah. the things like the robot now will this robot do what some other things i saw will do is that if there's a lack of motion or activity from the person there the companion of will it send alerts to like a, a list of trusted people there are definitely some features in it that enable it to you know if it talks to you or maybe does like a check for you then if it does if you don't respond or you can ask it for help so if you fall down, you can say, like, Ellie, help me, or, you know, and then it'll send out an alert. But it's not the same as, um, as some of the stuff you were describing, which is, you know, these are sensors and AI that's being put in uh, nursing homes to help healthcare providers understand when, you know, kind of do the more mundane things, right? So we see help people like astronauts, healthcare providers, and others 
finish the mundane task, the really easy stuff. Maybe you, you know, you go into a room and you say, good morning. Uh, you know, it's a robot. It says, good morning. Here's your medication this morning. How are you feeling? You can tap the screen and show me like, how are you feeling from a scale of one to 10 and how's your mood and things like that. And then that can be given your healthcare provider, allowing your healthcare provider to focus on the most important parts of your health and the things that robots can't do and give more time to that as opposed to those like really small mundane tasks every day. And speaking of the medical field, uh, something I mentioned before that the number of people exhibiting medical products has skyrocketed this year. What other trends are you seeing? Because I think about when you and I talked two years ago, it was drone, 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 drone. And VR. VR VR and drones. That was like the big thing. But I'm not hearing a word about drones this year. No. Yeah. Isn't that strange? So what does that mean? Does that mean drones are now so mainstream they're not a topic or they haven't led to the promise that people expected from them? I think it's a little of both. I think uh, these promises of, you know, drone delivery from Amazon and and all these other things that people are, you know, really touting as like the the biggest features of drones, here's what they can do for you, are really just the, the, it's not there yet. And we have so many laws and things that have to be cleared before we can even think about using things like that. Plus, there's a safety factor that a lot of people don't want drones flying around the sky with your Amazon package in it, because what if it fails and then all of a sudden it lands on your car and you get in a car accident? So um, flying around in the sky is pretty dangerous. And so I think um, I think that it's a little bit of both there. Uh, and now with with all of the health tech out there, Um, I think a big component of it really skyrocketing has been um, the rise of AI. And so, and these chips that allow developers. People hear AI, they hear artificial intelligence, but they don't really know or grasp what that means and why it actually is something that could be beneficial to them. Right. It's There's definitely a component of, uh, it's a little scary. (laughs) We always think of like, you know, Terminator (laughs) with AI, but... There are a lot of ways that AI already makes our lives better, right? So if you use Google Assistant uh, to have it help you keep your schedule on track, um, we use AI for a, a lot of different things. It's just very subtle. And now we're starting to see a more overt use of the technology through things like um, you know, direct communication with robots who learn about you, who can look at the surroundings, who can, who can say, okay, today it's a really nice day. That's really exciting because that's when we start getting robots that feel a little bit more uh, natural to use and, and, and interfaces that feel more natural to use. So, Ashley, with the AI, the thing is, there's this dark side to it that is really the kind of thing from sci-fi movies. Where are we on that? Because I worry about this stuff because of what happens with teenagers, with video games and all that. How do we make sure this is a good thing and not a bad thing? Um, I think that I think that it's definitely there was a really interesting thread that I read a while back on Twitter, and um, it, it, oddly enough, something valuable on Twitter, amazing, right? But it was this it was this guy who had been a physicist, and then he got into computer programming, and he talked about how the computer programming industry, all of tech, really, has not had an ethical reckoning about what they're doing and what they're creating compared to say the physics community who had to reckon with the ethics of the bomb back in the back in the day and the chemistry community who had to reckon with dynamite and chemical warfare and now when you come up in those disciplines you have to think about those things those that's part of your curriculum is the ethical ramifications of what you do as a physicist as a chemist it's a really good point because we see things all the time like Cambridge Analytica with Facebook leaking your data. And we see, you know, all kinds of other things where our information, our data is used against us to weaponize, to to spread disinformation, to do all kinds of not good things. And so I think AI, I hope that, you know, you said, let's look at the dark side of things. There are always going to be people out there who want to use that information, that data in a bad way. And I think that these manufacturers, these programmers, all of these people who are involved, all the way up to a CEO or founder of a company, safe uh, and secure because there's always some company who cuts some corners and then inevitably you always hear about it on Facebook. On CNET. You always hear it on a CNET. Yeah. Com- yeah. 
So uh, Facebook. 30 seconds. Hit me with your favorite thing personally you've gotten buzz about or seen so far. I think my favorite thing is I've been really into self-driving cars. I really love Byton's, uh, Byton's vehicle that they showed off. Uh, Byton is a car company I've never heard of. They showed off basically a super high-tech car that has a massive screen. It's like four iPads, like back-to-back. I mean, it's just insane. I mean, it's, it's the future. You look at it, you go, that's the future. And that's the stuff I love to see at CES. So the idea of having the vehicle drive itself has been talked about now for probably 10 years. It's happening? It's getting there. It's close. It's closer. Well, Ashley Esketha, I how close did I do each time with your name? Ninety-nine point nine percent. See, that's the best I've ever done in all these years. Thank you so much for joining us again on the Clark Howard Show as we broadcast live from the floor of CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. It's great to have you on this special edition of the Clark Howard Show. One of the really neat things at CES is wandering around, seeing the brilliance of different people, the solutions they see to problems that others have not been able to address. Kim specifically targets smaller organizations that have come up with a new way of solving old problems. Kim, what have you found for us now? Hey Clark, I am here with Jennifer. She is with ClearUp and this is a way to help with sinus pain without having to take drugs, which is something we've all been looking for. How does this work? Since you can't see it, it's a small handheld device that's shaped like a pear. And the tip of the pear, you apply to the sinus passages along your cheek, along your nose, and along the brow bone area. And we use a proprietary electrical stimulation. It's a very tiny, tiny, tiny amount of electrical current in a specialized waveform that stimulates the nerves and the biological responses to relieve the sinus pain. And this is a class of medicine, a growing class of medicine called electrical medicine or bioelectronic medicine. A number of companies in the field have done implantable devices so if we think we're taking technology like you would find in a deep brain stimulator or in a spinal implant and we brought that into a home use handheld device over the counter to make it available to the mass market. Very interesting so when I'm holding it to my face am I feeling anything? Some people do, some people don't. Um, you'll feel a little bit of vibration that is used to tell you that you've located an optimal treatment point. And then the microcurrent stimulation, some people feel it, some people don't really notice it at all. And how long does it take for you to feel the effects? So we did a double-blind randomized control study at Stanford Sinus Center. In that study, three out of four people with a five-minute treatment felt relief. 82% um, of them preferred it to their current treatment methods. So that was pretty cool. And with that one treatment, we saw an average of 30% reduction in pain and about twice as much as over the placebo, the sham. So when the doctors see that number, because this is a symptom that they've been trying to treat for years, often without really any effective mechanisms, they get really excited. And our patients, the patients actually are consumers who are using it, have been really excited. Even here at the show, that people are trying it going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this feels so good. That's, that's amazing. And can you tell me how much it's going to cost? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it'll be available mid-year, $149, one-time purchase, so there's no refills or subscriptions associated. That's just wonderful. And where do people go if they want to learn more? So the company is Tivic Health, T-I-V-I-C, Health, H-A-L-T-H. So TivicHealth.com. And you can find more information there about Clear Up Sinus Pain Relief. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Clark, this might be a good one for you. You've had sinus issues in your life, right? I have, and for some reason, I have not in recent years. So I don't know what's cured mine. It's not been electric currents, but... Maybe it's the cure for you. And Kim, this is a theme this year at CES, more so than in prior years. How many medical devices are available? And some of them just are absolutely life-saving things if they work as they're pitched here at CES. Can't wait to hear more from you. I'm so glad to have you join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. But this is a special edition of the Clark Howard Show, if you're just tuning in. We are for the ninth year in a row at CES, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, where I get to see some of the most brilliant people on planet Earth who come up with the craziest ideas most of which will fail in the marketplace, but ultimately plant the seeds for new things coming. Now, there 
are products and ideas and technologies in all different phases of our lives. One area that is starting to make a big difference is on the athletic field. There's more and more people exhibiting devices that are specifically geared towards improving athletic performance in various uh, forms of sport and at the same time reducing injury rates in athletes. And that's just one odd category that has grown over the last probably three years at CES. But something that did not even exist here, did not exist, is now one of the most dominant areas of CES, and that is automotive technology. Cars, as I've mentioned to you before, are basically rolling computers now. And the technology going on with cars is so extraordinary, and I've gotten to experience it firsthand. I've gotten to do two rides in various, diff- various technologies, very different ones, that are fully autonomous vehicles, no driver necessary. One of the vehicles I rode in is one that has no traditional automotive components at all. You get into this pod, it is able to, with artificial intelligence, figure out when there's something in the road that's a problem, when it needs to stop, when it needs to avoid impact with something. I wouldn't say flawlessly down the road because when it senses uh, an object like somebody on a bike or whatever, it gets a little herky-jerky, but it is so clear that so many sources of transportation now that require a human behind a steering wheel, that's not going to be. And companies are trying to get this done different ways. I uh, got to ride in a demonstration vehicle done by SAE. It used to be called Society of Automotive Engineers. I don't know if that's what it stands for now. But anyway, in this SUV, there's still a steering wheel, but it's not used. There's a brake, it's not used, an accelerator, not used, because the vehicle does all the driving. You just put in where you want it to go, it figures out the route to go, and just drives there, and it was flawless. And it can handle uh, surface streets, secondary roads, neighborhood roads, highways, freeways, recognizes stop signs, red lights. It is absolutely stunning what's going on with the technology involved with automotive. And it's very clear that the technology is right at the cusp of being ready for prime time. I mentioned to you last month about what uh, Google is doing, well, what they call the parent company, Alphabet, with the Waymo 2 service in a suburb of Phoenix where people are paying to ride in these autonomous vehicles that are able to drive you to your destination and charge you like an Uber or Lyft, but without a driver being necessary. And that this is happening. A very awkward phase probably for as long as the next 10 years, while we go through the transition of vehicles that because of 5G, which if you heard me talk about it prior in this special broadcast from CES, with 5G, vehicles real time are going to be able to talk to each other and stay out of each other's way. Even vehicles that still have a human driver are going to be able to be alerted through 5G to avoid being in a collision, to avoid impact. But there will be this very awkward phase. You know, the average age of a vehicle on the road in the United States is about 11 and a half years. So even as fully autonomous vehicles become uh, first pioneers and then commonplace, we're still going to have 100 million vehicles on the road 
that still are old technology vehicles that require a human driver. And so that interaction of a vehicle with a human driver and a vehicle that's completely autonomous will be messy. But I think about how I was wrong about something. My 13-year-old son, I predicted years ago that he would never learn to drive, that autonomous vehicles would be ready by the time he would be going for a driver's license. I was wrong. You know, we're still going to have people for the next several years at least buying vehicles that require a human driver, and he'll have to learn to drive. When I think about my oldest daughter, Rebecca, who's 29, she and her husband are probably going to have kids in the next couple of years. Their kids will never learn to drive. That's not, they may not learn to drive. They will not learn to drive because they will grow up at a time where by the time they would be of driving age, they will never have a vehicle to learn in because that will be so over. There are people who love the idea of the open road and all that, and there will be legacy vehicles. Just like when the automobile started early last century to start to appear in meaningful numbers, and the automobile was on the road with people on horses and with buggies being pulled by horses. And then they hit that point where they became uh, obsolete. That same thing is coming with automobiles. I don't predict it. I guarantee it. So trust me on this. Having experienced it, the change is coming and how you get around. And it's just one example. And we are speaking now with Mike. Mike, it's my pleasure to welcome you to our special broadcast from Las Vegas at CES. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing okay. How are you? Great. I want to hear that you're fantastic. <laughs> I'm fantastic now that I'm talking to you. <laughs> Well, let's hope I can give you a fantastic answer. How can I be of service to you? Yes, I'm currently with a provider on my phone that works off of, it's a VoIP service that works off of Sprint's network, which is a CDMA. And my yeah. phone, you know, according you know, FCC, you're supposed to be able to unlock your phone. This is a prepaid service and everything, and I've had it for over a year. And I'm wanting to change the settings on my device to where it will run off of a GSM network, T-Mobile's, um, so I can change um, carriers, which really, for someone who knows what they're doing, shouldn't be a very hard task. I'm just a novice when it comes to this. So basically what I'm trying to find out is how do I convert, how do I reprogram the phone to work off a GSM network instead of CDMA? Most phones that work on the obsolete networks that Sprint and Verizon use, the Code Division Multiple Access Network, CDMA phones generally do not have the capability of working on a GSM network. Uh, the CDMA phones are uh, captives of the network they operate on in most cases. So if you had a phone that could operate both CDMA and GSM, which is the dominant world standard, if you have, if you have paid for the phone, you've had service for enough months, Sprint will unlock that phone for you. We'll see, and that, that's where my problem comes in. Because I'm not actually with Sprint. I'm with a company called TextNow who uses Sprint's network. And I'm trying to switch to Mint Mobile, which uses T-Mobile's network. So, neither right, one so of your phone, is your phone locked anyway? No. Well, when I bought the phone, I asked the company, you know, because I paid for it all up front. And they said it's technically unlocked, but they programmed it to run on the way it runs. So it should be a factory unlock because when it comes 
unlocked from the factory can run off of either network. You just, it's just whatever the programming states. Actually, Google has a um, phone out, I believe, that runs off of both networks. But Yeah, and this, a lot of iPhones run on both technologies. And like this program, actually, I found the service through an app in the Google Play Store. You know, so originally it was just a second line. That's why it's a VoIP service, voice over internet um, um, provider um, phone service. And um, so, from my understanding, the phone is an unlocked phone that. Do I have an idea? I have an idea. I don't know, Mike, that it will solve the problem, but it's my idea of what I would do. I would go into. Uh, Metro by T-Mobile store, what used to be called Metro PCS, which is an all-prepaid carrier. Ask them if they can check to see if a a Metro chip, they can put one in your phone and see if it will get dial tone and be able to place a call and be able to function on their network. You know, they are used to people bringing in phones. And I think that would be the best diagnostic because if you're going from one uh, virtual network operator that you only approach through a website to another one you only approach through a website, you're not going to be able to get that diagnostic. But if you go straight into a Metro by T-Mobile store, they'll be able to check it for you and you'll be able to see is your phone able to operate on GSM. And that would be the way that I would approach it. And this alphabet soup with networks is really in its last phase. We're not going to have this problem anymore as the networks migrate to the new technology, the 5G that I was talking about earlier. And so you won't have to worry about transitioning a phone from one provider to another If the phone is ready for networks, for modern networks, you'll be fine being able to use it. And it shouldn't be this hard. We are one of only two countries in the world where this is an issue with having uh, technology companies, again, Sprint and Verizon, everywhere else in the world, almost, the networks work on Global System for Mobile Communication, GSM, and phones are completely portable. I wish I could give you just a simpler answer than going to Metro, but that's what I would do. It's time for Kim Drobes to hit us with something she's found hot on the floor at CES. Kim, every year at CES, roams around looking for things that really intrigue her that she thinks will intrigue you. All right, Clark, I'm back on the floor, and I am with Steve. He is with Babe Eyes. I got to tell you, I checked this one out online before seeing you here, and it's very simple, but also very futuristic to me. Can you explain to people what's going on? Yes. Uh, in fact, all the memories uh, between the age of zero and three years old, they are somewhere in our brain, but we cannot memorize them because when you don't have the language, it's very difficult to keep your memories. So what we, we have developed a device where you, you save, uh, I mean, you record and you save all, all these memories between zero and three, zero, three years old. And it's what is very specific, it's from the baby's point of view. Everybody has a smartphone or a camera, but from the baby's point of view, it's, it's very special. And then you have these videos for life. I mean, when you are 20, 30, 50, you can relive this first moment, the first time the, your parents saw you, the first, first time your grandparents saw you. It's, uh, we are selling emotion here. Very cool. So for people who aren't here and can't see the device, this is something that instead of you taking pictures of your baby, your baby would actually wear this device. It's a, it's a very small camera that you put on the baby or close to the baby. There is no wave, no Wi-Fi. So is it your thought that when an adult would view this and would trigger a memory from when they were two? Exactly. Let's say how much you would be ready to pay to see your first memories the first time your parents saw, saw, saw you, the first time your grandparents saw you. 
but it's somewhere in our brain. So we will be ready to pay a lot to get back these memories. And now, we, you, you, if you offer someone this device to someone, he will be able to have these memories forever. Device is first memories forever. Very cool. Can you tell me how much it'll cost? It's $139. And is it available right now? Yes, uh, if you, you can order it right now and it will be delivered uh, uh, February, next month. And you can go to the babyice.com uh, website. Yeah, there is, it's, you have a full information. All right, Clark, what do you think about that? It's incredibly simple because it's really just a camera that the baby's wearing, but it's really a thought that never crossed my mind before. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of stunned because I'm daydreaming about the fact that there are less than 10 pictures of me in existence between zero and five years old, that there's like nothing at all of me as a small child. And to think today that people take pictures constantly, but never from the perspective of the very young infant. And this is crazy, weird, and maybe ingenious too. You'll decide if it's worth 150 bucks. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.